I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Welcome to another episode of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I am Philadelphia Daily News columnist David Murphy, joined by Inquire columnist Mike Sielski. It's been a wild week here in Philadelphia, particularly over in Camden. It's always wild in Camden. You and I gathered on, what day was that? It was Monday, right? It was Monday. You may have heard the 76ers made a bit of a trade. It was a rather uh, uh, momentous um, impactful, whatever superlative you want to put on there, I think, that would, would garner a lot of callers into a talk radio show. All right, well, we're going to talk to Bob Cooney um, coming up right in about 30 seconds. Uh, we're going to talk to him about Markel Fultz, about the NBA draft. So this podcast that I'm thinking about is probably going to be outdated within 24 hours, but we'll... Uh, we'll be as forward-thinking as we possibly can be. We will. Let's bring in Bob Cooney. Not that you care, but I thought I'd say. Well, here he is, live from the pool, poolside. So if you hear any splashing in the background. Must that, 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 be nice. Uh-huh. I'm working. I'm working. Uh-huh. Live from, the sl- uh-huh. live from the swim club in South Jersey. All right, we don't need to keep saying that because I know our bosses do listen to this. They, so no. They, so they, so while, you're, while you're working, Bobby, at the swim club, do you uh, have lime with your Tangeray and tonic or do you just take it, <laughs> you know? Uh, I have a. Uh, I just had a nice slice of pizza with a bottle of water, and uh, once my daughter gets off, we'll be going home and doing some more work. Nice. Well, what are you hearing? Um, do you think there's any chance the Sixers trade away the number one pick? You know what? It's funny, Murph. I, you know, when we were at the press conference the other day with Brian Colangelo, I did come away thinking to myself, why are you thinking this? Why are you thinking not just be what they're going to do? And I wrote it this morning saying, look, I still have like this 5% chance in my head that maybe he does something more. Uh, and then going back and reading all his quotes from his press conference, uh, you know, I, I, I still think that he does want to look at this organically. I still think he wants to look at these guys that he's accumulated now, these young guys, for a year or two and then say, okay, let's jump into it then. But, you know, if, if something comes up and you can get a or Zingas, and maybe they just want the number one pick and maybe not Dario Saric. Yeah, it's something you certainly have to look at. I mean, you know, who knows if Markel Fultz isn't going to be the next Evan Turner for this city? Yep. You know, you don't know. You don't know. And I've seen, I've seen and I've talked to many people, there are deficiencies in this guy's game, and there's no doubt about that. It's, it's, I've written that, that the things he does well, I like. But, but, you know, there are some motor problems, there's some defensive problems, and, you know, we'll just have to uh, see how it all plays out. Yeah, so my big thing about Marco Foltz, and again, I think it's a good, good, good trade. I, you know, it makes sense. Everything about it makes sense. But right. if, you know, if the Knicks called you up and said, we'll give you Porzingis for Foltz, I think you'd do that in a second because you don't know what this guy's going to be. And you know who the guy he reminds me of most is? Is D'Angelo Russell, frankly. Um yeah. Like in terms of body type, in terms of uh, he, he might be he might have a little bit better handle than D'Angelo Russell. Um, yeah. But like you said, you know, there's 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 still a lot of projection involved in this guy. Like, yeah, you you don't know. I, I mean, yeah, you know, look at the security factor of it all. That if you can say, 
Kristaps Porzingis is only going to grow from what he is now, which is a 16-point-a-game point a game guy, a guy that can hit threes, a guy that can, you know, when, when he's closed out on, can one dribble and go to the basket strong with two hands. That's, that's a nice security blanket to have at 7-3, a stretch four with your 7-2 center, as opposed to a 19-year-old that you're projecting about. Look, so, you know, I'd have to look long and hard. Who do you think would be the number one overall pick if Christoph Porzingis was in this year's draft? See, that's that's saying what we know now about him, though. So that's yeah. Well, I know, I, but I I'm part of this, right? Yeah, but um, that's what I'm saying. But but that's part of it. We do know Christoph. You know, the known right. is part okay. of it. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, I would say probably Porzingis. Right. So I think a no. I think a trade yeah. would then be a no-brainer. Uh, I, yeah. I th- honestly, Bobby, I think it's less than five percent that they make that move, only because it sounds like, from all indications, they've been scouting Fultz. They, meaning the Sixers, have been scouting him, you know, all season. Um, Lorenzo Romar, the Washington coach, said, you know, the Sixers were there from the first game through the last game of that awful, you know, nine and twenty-two year. Um, right. I, I mean, I was just, I, I it, it seemed. I, I, w- I would think about trading him for Przingis, too. I think you guys make a great point. I'm just not convinced that that's even in their thinking at this point. I think they just see the the guard who would complement Simmons and Embiid so well that why would we think about making right. that move? Yeah, no, I hear you. That's why I put it at, like, 5%, yeah. and I was talking about a 5% chance. Is that, you know, like, so uh, I, I – the, the funny part, though, is, Mike, that, all right, say, you know um, – Colangelo had it in his mind. All right, we have the third pick, but we love this kid, folks. We're going to do whatever we can to try to move up and get him. And you're set on that boom, 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 and you get it. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes to you and says, hey, how about Porzingis for that number one? That wasn't probably in their mind at all. You know what I mean? That's fair point. So, listen, I'm not leaning off of this 5% that I wrote. I'm just giving maybe the reasons of that 5%. Let let me ask you this. There there are two really interesting kind of – subplots it seems to me going on in the NBA right now and I'm curious to get your kind of take on them with respect to the Sixers one is the chase to replicate and or surpass what has happened in Golden State with the building of the super team you see you're seeing this now with you know the Lakers making this big trade they're going to take Lonzo Ball reportedly their entire focus is getting LeBron James in there so they can you know Magic Johnson can build a super team of his own The, the other underlying story is you know the the craziness with the Knicks and the question of what Phil Jackson is doing up there take each one and and kind of how you think each of those narratives and stories kind of apply to what to the Sixers I mean it seems the Sixers are trying to build you know a quote-unquote super team organically and it seems like the Knicks are just going to be there to be a punching bag you know, for the rest of the league and presumably the Sixers too, if the Sixers get good. Yeah, well, the first one with uh, with regards to Golden State, it's it's funny. Uh, the three of us have all gotten so many emails and so many tweets over the years saying that you know if the Sixers do this, they're going to be just like Golden State, or you know that's not going to happen. Golden State boasts two of the best shooters of all time on their team right now, and one of the best players of all time in Kevin Durant. I'm not even including him in one of the best shooters of all time. It's a, it's a different dynamic. It's crazy bringing in superstars on already teams that are that were they, they should have won two championships in a row. Um, you know, it's a league. Everybody else is going to look to get good and then bring in superstars. And it's kind of like what Brian Colangelo said the other day. Look at it. 
for a couple of years and then really hit the free agent market. So it, it's I, I kind of like it. The Sixers are almost emulating exactly Golden State because Golden State was homegrown. And then they went out and got the superstar, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's what the Sixers are looking to do. It, it's a copycat league. Everybody's going to look to do it. Is there a different way to play this game away from the way Golden State is? Because the game changes constantly. You know, years ago it was a isolation game. And then, you know, San Antonio, if you just watch what they did, and then they went away from the isolation and they sprinkled shooters around Tim Duncan. And then they made it a passing game where the ball never stood still and it, it, it just went everywhere and you had shooters and you had drivers. You know, that that's the one dynamic. Is the game going to change? Or do you build the best team that you can build and find the play best with those guys, or do you have to emulate exactly what Golden State does? You know, that's tough. And then that crap show up in New York, I, I, don't, I, I swear I don't know what Phil Jackson's doing. I, I, I talk to so many people nationally, and, and, and some think he's just, they're, you know, he's trying to get fired, or he just, you know, he's laughing his way through it. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on up there. I thought Porzingis would be the guy that you build around. And now it looks like, you know, because of his actions and the way they didn't get along and him walking out on the exit meeting, you know, it looks like that, uh, that that's not a marriage made in heaven. So uh, I'll tell you what, my thing is whenever there's a, an organization in disarray, I'm a shark and I'm circling. And I think, you know, you want to, you want to just uh, nudge your nose at everything that's going on there and, and see what kind of carcass you can pick up. Uh, yeah, I mean, Porzingis, I, it's really hard for me to believe that they would actually trade the guy. Or, or even consider, I mean, the fact that they're even considering it. If you're Phil Jackson, I would think you're just trying to see if Danny Angel trade you all of his first-round picks. for <laughs> Because I just can't see, I can't see a deal where it makes sense to trade that. I mean, Chris, yeah, but, Porzingis but you also go this way, Murph. This is what I was thinking, too. There's already a, a, a tethered relationship there because of what happened. Uh, the what exit Porzingis interview, right. Said. And now Jackson does this. Now he puts this out there also. Right. Like, this is crazy. It, it really seems like he doesn't want the kid anymore. No, but I, I think that if it gets to that point, if your ownership, you step in and you get rid of – if it's a choice between Phil Jackson and Kristaps Porzingis, I think you've right. you got to pick the seven-foot Hey, this is guy a- who shoots three – I mean, he's 21 years old, uh, had a 507 effective field goal percentage last year, 357 from downtown, is getting better. I mean, he's he's a he's a more athletic, better defending Dirk, and I, I think he you, could be this guy. This guy could be like Kevin Durant light. I, I think you underestimate how um, poor, misguided, um, and sometimes downright bonkers of an owner James Dolan is with respect to the <laughs> Right. Um, I knew you were going there, Mike. Yeah, I mean, he, this is the guy who picked Isaiah Thomas to to run his basketball operation and stuck by him through, you know, an incredibly sordid, you know, sexual harassment scandal until he right. absolutely positively couldn't stand by him anymore. I mean, it's a, it's a wonder, you know, to go to the hockey run. He leaves the Rangers completely alone, and the Rangers are actually a functional, uh, respectable NHL franchise. He meddles with the Knicks and we see the state that they're in. So here's my question. Uh, let, let's drop the poor Ziggis thing because I just I can't see it happening. And and obviously it's a no-brainer. You, you try to get the guy if, if he's available. I just don't see how the Sixers I, – I mean, to me, I, I just don't see how the Sixers could beat anybody's offer for Porzingis. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like without – Yeah, without giving up a, a player who they would perceive to be part of right. the core that they'd want to keep. Right. Are you going to give up Covington or Sarich or – Yeah, I mean, I would like give up that. Covington in a second, but um, – Here's my question to you, Bobby. What is the next piece for the Sixers team, like the profile? Um, 
you know, we Colangelo mentioned a stretch four over the off, you know, in the off season when he was talking about, uh, you know, pieces he would like to add. Obviously, that would make a lot of sense for the for the for the Sixers. He's been talking a lot. Or the thing that jumped out at me at his press conference was when he mentioned trying to get back into the first round. Uh, I wonder if there's a guy yeah. like I wouldn't be surprised if they like really like marking in or one of those guys who's like, you know, could go the between, shooter. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, yeah, I, I think marking would fit very well with this team. Yeah, I don't know how good a defensive player he is, but what is the next? I mean, we hear free agency in this blanket kind of, you know, whatever. But like, there's certain guys that just won't fit with this team. Who? who what do you think the next? What's the profile of the next player that will be a significant piece that they need to add a four it's- man or? Yeah, it's it's got to be shooting. It's got to be shooting. Even though you get Markel Fultz, who who is one of the better shooters of this draft, you you have to address it even some more. And, and you guys know, and I've been saying it and, and writing it all over the place. I'm a big proponent of bringing back Ursanio Sova at the four. Uh, get a stretch four in there, someone that can open the game up for a little bit for Joel Embiid. Uh, hit the free agent market, see what it would take to get to get a JJ Redick. Um, you know, just a guy that runs down the floor. He finds space. He knows where to go. He can set his feet to release, and he shoots 45% from three-point range. That's something that would be really, really nice for the Sixers. Ilya Soba also and Redick are pros pro. So, like, you know, they can help groom these young guys. It's not such an immediacy thing. It's not like you're bringing in a Porzingis and, like, boom, all of a sudden, you know, you're contenders. No, these are guys that can help grow the younger guys they can help the system grow they'll get you some wins and they're great locker room guys um you know if you can get better models of those type of guys and maybe cheaper you know i, I think that's where they have but to I, go right now they, complete team they just need a couple more shooters let me let me rephrase my question so the the, the whole point of the the process. Your entire a- answer was pointless, Bobby. No, pointless. No, no, no. no, no. You're well, entire- when the question went on for 15 minutes, <laughs> you kind of lost the answer the first day. No, your your question makes sense from from like this year. Like that makes that makes a lot of sense. But I'm saying, what is the ne- you heard Brian Colangelo say when he was asked about free agency in his press conference? He talked about going after that final quote unquote big piece, and he used the word big right. piece. I don't think he was talking about Ryan Howard, but who knows. Um, Ursan Ilyasova, love the guy. J.J. Redick, love the guy. Favorite college basketball player yeah, of all they're time. Not the they're not quote-unquote big pieces. Like, right. I'm saying with, within the next three years, what is what is the type of player? Like, like I'll throw this guy at you. Uh, and he might even be kind of a hybrid bridge guy, too. But, like, how do you think Kevin Love would fit, fit with this team? If, if Yeah, a buddy, of my, a buddy of mine and I, we talked about this at length yesterday him saying how much he would love Kevin uh, Kevin Love here. And, and you know, I, I saw Kevin Love playing college. I was I followed them through their regional finals and to the final four, talked to Ben Howland about him an awful lot. Ben Howland back then said this kid's going to be one of the best outlet passers the NBA has ever seen, and he is. And the Sixers want to do. They want to rebound and go, and that's why they have a Ben Simmons, and that's why they're getting a Markel Fultz. They want the ball to move forward and go, and there's nobody in the league better that gets that ball moving forward than, than Kevin Love. And he's a good rebounder. Obviously, he's your stretch four. You know, if you did something – the, the thing with him – so you're talking about waiting two years and then bringing him in. No, I'm actually – the, the piece, right? No, well, I'm thinking – so the thing – and again, this is pure speculation. But the Cavs clearly – it starts with the notion that the Cavs – I don't see a way the Cavs can, can attempt to change the dynamic of their roster to better contend with Golden State without trading away Kevin Love. Because they have no draft picks, they have no cap room. 
He's their yeah, only asset. Yeah, money tied up to dead Right. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I'm thinking more when I said he's kind of a hybrid bridge slash that big piece guy. I mean, I think he's only under contract for three more years. So you wouldn't necessarily. Yeah, two guaranteed. Two, two is only guaranteed. I think the team options right. at third. So you would be two years in for a little over $40 million, 20 plus each year. And that's you've got that space the next couple of years. It's that third year yes, when like Embiid hits and, and Simmons hits. I don't know. It's just uh, like like the the speculation I saw the other day, it was just somebody floating something crazy out there, but it was like a three-way trade where the Sixers yeah, end I up getting... Also, right. Yeah, the Sixers end up, up here, and uh, Paul George would end up in Indiana, if I'm not mistaken. Right. That was the trade that you're talking about. Or Jimmy Butler, but, uh, or Jimmy Butler to the Cavs. Or Jimmy Butler, which, yeah. Um, yeah, it was funny. The more and more I talked to my buddy yesterday, he's a great basketball guy. Uh, I could see that. I really could. I could see that. Kevin Love's a, Kevin Love is... is your your hands uh, stretch four. Yeah, you know yeah. he's a, he's turned himself into a really really good shooter. He can rebound. He's a great rebounder. And like I said, you know the the, the biggest aspect of his game that is so enticing for the Sixers is that outlet passing. And, and he's got uh, an in with the Beach Boys. That would yeah. What's that? He's got an in with the Beach Boys too. Sloop That's John right. B. Baby. Yeah, you can get tickets. <laughs> you can get tickets to the concert to whoever's still remaining out of the out of that group. But. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's an that's a that's an intriguing name, and that's you know that's that's the great part about all this for Sixers fans is that like, talking about this isn't crazy because any kind of trade that's going to go on, you have to include the Sixers because they just have so many damn assets and they have so much money. So like it's viable to say, well, the Sixers could get in on that. It's not like years past, like now, who the hell wants Thaddeus Young or who wants this, that, and the other? No, they have players, they have assets, they have draft picks, they have money, they have everything coming to play in any kind of trade uh, you know whether it be two team three team four team that 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 people uh you know rumor out there Bobby one one of the since the the trade um not even, not really since the trade went down but since the trade uh it became apparent that the trade was going to go down there there's been kind of um we've reached like the apex of of this incredible ongoing debate within the Philadelphia market about the Sixers between the process people and the non-process people. Uh, I'm curious as to your take now, not about not about whether the process, quote unquote, as Sam Henke has referred to it and Joel Embiid have referred to it, is working. I- I'm curious as to your take, because you're kind of outside the whole thing, covering the team on a day-to-day basis. Um, what you make of the back and forth between the likes of you know the the spike at you know I mean you kind of the whole debate is kind of defined <laughs> by Spike Eskin versus Howard Eskin I guess I mean what's your take in the blood yeah something like that yeah exactly what are your thoughts about this because it's to me it's fascinating uh, our old friend John Gonzalez wrote a piece about it on the Ringer dot com um, that kind of got to the heart of the whole thing what what what's your take on the debate itself within the city about what the Sixers have done and are doing. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating to me, and it's uh, uh, I like it. You guys have been around here obviously a while, uh, not as long as me, but uh, only because I'm older. But um, I've never seen a, a fan dynamic like this in my whole life, and I've lived here my whole life. It's it's uh, the the people that were on with the with what Sam Hinkie's process was, um, uh, the vision that they proclaimed to have. Um, was quite interesting, and and it was a dynamic that we have never seen before. Philadelphia is not a patient town, and for a group of young people, uh, mostly, to come up and and attach themselves to a guy that had a 
vision that has never been seen before in all of sports, uh, it, it was fascinating. Um, you know, there, there was some downfalls to it, and the biggest thing that he's not seeing this through, and there was reasons for that. There's tremendous upside to it, as we're seeing right now. You know, it's, it's uh, for people to say, the non-hinky people, to say that it was stupid and it didn't work, okay, it hasn't worked yet. Uh, you know, the only thing that it's reaped is a 28-win season. That's the best it's reaped so far. But you have to be excited about where this organization is going, and that's undeniable. And, and 90% of that is because of Sam Hinkie. And now Brian Colangelo is, I think, starting to do some of the right things with the assets that Hinkie left him. I don't know why there still has to be a division, and I think the leader of the, of the cult, uh, Spike Eskin, put out a tweet the other day saying, all right, now it's just time for us all to come together and root for the team, talking to all Sixers fans. So uh, it still does amaze me that, that there's this division. Um, I, I don't know how you could not be excited about where the Sixers are going. Um, I have my reservations a little bit about Markel Fultz, but that doesn't mean I don't think they're in an awfully good spot and by far better than any spot they've been in probably since 2001. So today, uh, the two are going to mesh. Uh, you know, the, the hinkyites and the anti-hinky people, it, we're going to mesh, and it's going to be cataclysmic. It's going to be – the Sixers team has the chance to own this city in a way that no team ever has. And the Eagles will always be – no matter what people say, they'll always trade anything for Eagles Super Bowl win. But that's like – you know, football is a once-a-week – or, you know, once-a-week thing. Right. Um Whereas, like, it's an event, right? Whereas, like, when the Phillies were good, that was an every night thing, and it was just like, yeah, every night you had something to talk about. And but, but baseball is way between, different than the NBA. Yeah, there's the a NBA, you would be taking the eventness of football and combining it with like the thrice weekliness of, of baseball, and it's just such a spectator friendly sport. And yeah, I don't know, I. What do you think about that, Mike? Yeah, no, I agree. It's almost as if you're taking, um, you're taking baseball's steady buzz, exactly, and combining it with football's incredible highs, right? You know, and you're right. I mean, you go back. I mean, think about 2001. You go back to that year, and yeah, you had an incredibly exciting player in Iverson, and you had um, a team that, in a lot of respects, embodied what Philadelphia wants out of a team that wins. You know, they're they're playing harder than all their opponents. Um, and you can Underdog. Under, tough. All yeah, that you're stuff. Right, Mike. And, but by the same token, you know, as great as that run was, once, it, once that team got to the finals against the Lakers, and with the exception of that game one upset, the Lakers were a better team. And any person who watched that series could see that they were a better team. And for all the effort that Iverson and Eric Snow and Dikembe Mutombo gave – the Lakers were kind of like the big brother or the bully kind of keeping them at bay. Like, you know, okay, I can kind of dispatch you anytime I want to. This would be different. This would be, you know, winning a championship for this franchise for the first time since 1983 and doing it with, if everything goes right, a level of skill and talent that you haven't seen anything close to since that 83 team. And again, if all goes well. Well, look at, like, look at the Warriors. Uh, like, 
and their home games. And everyone, like, that that place just packed. Warriors running and gunning. Everyone chanting. Like, how much fun, just like, how much fun does that look, you know? And and think about now that in Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what... Yeah, and, and you know, the, the other thing, guys, another dynamic is that, that, that is linked to this. The NBA, you don't have one-and-done winners anymore. Right. It just doesn't right. happen. And you, you can go back years and years and years. Because why? Because back a, a long time ago, teams figured out you needed two and three stars to win in this league. And once you do that, you're not going to be one and done. Because it's not like a hockey where other, you know, you get one star and you're okay and you can trade and do this. No, it's not. When you get two and three and they stay for a few years, you're at the top of the heap. And then when that falls apart, another team comes up because they emulated two and three stars, and they're at the top of the heap. If you go back and look at NBA champions going back, God, probably to mid-'80s, look at how many multiple winners there were. Look how few, like Larry Brown's Detroit Pistons were one of the only ones. Yep. Uh, how few just one win and then the, had The, the 2011 Dallas Mavericks, you know, one and done. Boom. Yeah, exactly, the Dallas Mavericks. And they got Nowitzki there one when they had Jason Kidd. They got an old team. Put it together, they hit that one-year dynamic, much like the 93 Phillies, except they, you know, the Dallas took it all the way. But, but it's rarely seen. I mean, it, like you said, Mike, you picked 2011, I picked the team, whatever Brown's team was, 2006 or whatever it was. Uh, it's a rarity. You yeah. know, teams in the NBA are now stockpiling, and they're getting runs of three, four, five years of NBA championship appearances and getting multiple championships. I don't see that changing, and and like we all said, getting those superstars, building up this young core, and then adding the last piece, that makes you viable for two, three, four, five years, and that's why teams are always going to win multiple championships in the NBA. It reminds me of something Sam Hankey said, and I, I, I would imagine he might have said something similar to you, Bob, which is um, when, when explaining why he pursued the strategy that he did, one of the, one of the explanations he gave was basketball is not like baseball. In basketball, you can have David Ortiz or Derek Jeter or Alex Rodriguez or Albert Pujols come up every at-bat from the sixth inning of a game on. And that's why I'm pursuing this strategy of trying to get superstar players because I don't have to have the number seven hitter or eight hitter bat in a big spot. I can have my best player or players at the plate every single time. And so it does me no good to settle for, you know, having Andre Godala and Elton Brand be our best players. It's I've right. got to have LeBron James. I've got to have Kevin Durant. I've got to have Steph Curry. Otherwise, you know, I'm striking out every single time. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. One of the I've told this story before. I don't know if many out there and that are going to watch this or heard, but Tim Hinkie and I were having dinner right after um, they brought on Jerry Colangelo, and it was a time where you know you kind of knew that something. Obviously, you knew that something was going on. And I said, uh, I said, Tim, does this make you like feel like you got to do something immediate to prove your worth or something? He said, No. He said, Listen, let me tell you this story. If I was voted president of the United States and they said we were going to war with Russia tomorrow, mm -hmm. I wouldn't look at our frontline troops. I would look at our military schooling and see how good our soldiers are going to be for this long fight and that's that's Sam Hinkie in a nutshell he didn't have that immediacy in him he, he looked long term and and look it's it's gotten you where the Sixers are now which as I said earlier is in a pretty good place and you know I get it I often get asked you know well, why doesn't anybody else hired Sam Hinkie and what Sam Hinkie's probably being punished 
by himself because of what he did. What he did was so and could turn out to be so ingenious that everybody's just going to label breakdown to him. I think Sam Hinkie is, is unbelievably smart that if you gave him another team with different circumstances, he would figure out another way to build it up. It doesn't mean Sam Hinkie's like the breakdown build-up king of the world. I'll bet you he could figure out a team that's like in third and fourth seed every year. I'll bet you he could figure out how to get that team up into – you know, the upper tier of their conference or maybe not the whole the whole NBA. So I, I'm really intrigued by him, and I, I hope that some other team in the NBA gets him a chance. And I hope it's a different situation than the one he walked into with the Sixers. Here's, here's one, of, one of the biggest questions, I think, right now, looking forward about this team. What is – is Dario Saric a starter? Um, I mean, you would think they have to add a, a four-man of some sort, wouldn't they? Or, or do they have Holmes penciled yeah. in there? Now, I, I think Holmes ultimately will back up Embiid. Look, if Embiid, yeah, that's what if I have Embiid's on my depth healthy, chart. He's going 36 minutes a game, right. and that's what Brett Brown has said. That leaves, you know, it'll leave like 15 or so to Rashawn Holmes uh, to back him up. You could, yeah, you could throw him at the floor every once in a while. Look, Dario Saric, in my mind, is eventually a 30-minute-a-night guy. You know, he's mm-hmm. the guy that ends for you, and maybe that eventuality is as close as next year. But I would like to see them get a stretch floor and start a stretch floor with Joel Embiid. I would like to see the floor open at the beginning of the game for Joel Embiid so that he can, he can you know, figure out where he is. Don't forget, this is a guy that's only played 31 NBA games. He doesn't have all the answers. I would start a game where, where you can spread the floor, where he can have some freedom offensively. And then, you know, obviously Sarge, Sarge is coming in and, and getting the majority of the minutes. But that's why I find first on Ilya Silva. I, I just think that's a, a really, really good fit. Uh, put him in there, and then and then bring Sharks uh, off the bench, get, getting his his uh, thirty minutes. Don't forget, my God, look at the team that's been the most dominant team in the NBA over the last fifteen years, San Antonio Spurs. Monty Ginobili's been coming off the bench yep. all of those years, so you know it's not a bad spot to be in, and it's nothing against Dario Sharks. So then, all right, so let's say you do bring in a stretch, uh, you know, a four of some sort, a stretch four, whatever, um, and you have Saric and and TBD kind of rotating. At that position, then you have, say, say Fultz pencil him him at a one. Then you've got Simmons, whatever you want to call him, either a two or a three, I would guess. Uh, and then you're talking about what? Bay- would you have Bayless? Would you have Covington coming off the bench and Bayless starting at shooting guard at the two, or or vice versa, or what? I'd have Covington in the starting lineup only because I like that perimeter defense. Uh, I think that's a weakness of Fultz's game right now is his defense. So I I think, you know, another guy that you can get out there on the perimeter is good. Um, uh, Bayless is kind of that, you know, jack-of-all-trades type of guy that I'm really interested to see this year. Um, When they signed him last year, I had a talk with him out in Las Vegas. Do you realize the more you get to shoot three-pointers, the better you are at it? And I I, I think he's been in the league maybe six, seven years, whatever it was. Every year that he shot more threes, he shot better threes, and, and his best year was the year before Leia uh, when he made the most, took the most, and had his highest percentage. Uh, he's, he's a little bit of a crafty ball handler, spot-up guy, like he can hit a, a jump shot on the move. Um, you know, he's kind of all those things that, that you kind of want with this offense uh, that is really intriguing. So, I, I don't know. I even said that, that, that I wrote this, uh, maybe it was this week, I can't remember, we write so much anymore, that he – 
he could be your starter. He could be the starting starter with Simmons in the backcourt, and then you bring Fultz off the bench until he gets acclimated to the right. league. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with a 19-year-old, you know, seeing the ways of the NBA coming off the bench and, and playing against second teamers is a good thing, and then giving them, you know, some minutes with, with starters also. One one final thing for me, Bobby, which is they still have guys, a few guys on the roster, and one in particular who's not on the roster yet, um, who I guess at this point are kind of relegated to the you know eighth, ninth, tenth guys. I'm talking about guys like T.J. McConnell, Nick Stauskas, um, you know, right. TLC, and then uh, you know Corkmaz, who you know Furkan Corkmaz, who they're waiting to kind of bring over. I guess. Do you see anything? more out of any of those guys beyond kind of what they are now? I mean, do they anticipate a guy like, um, you know, Cabaret becoming something more than just a bench guy? Yeah, that, that's interesting, Mike. You know, last year with TLC, they didn't expect anything except D-League minutes for him. And what happened was yet they had so many injuries at the beginning of the season, they had to have him on the bench simply to fill out the roster. So he was actually hurt by being on the NBA team because he wasn't getting minutes, but he had to sit there because they had to have guys on the bench. And then to watch how much he progressed throughout the year without getting like playing time, with just going through practices and the daily routine of the NBA, it was really surprising. And, and this kid has some real potential. I think he showed more last year than, than the team thought he would. Maz is still a, a wild card. You know, you're going to have to get him over here probably after this year. Um, get him some minutes in the D-League and, and see where he can go from there. You know, the T.J. McConnell thing, I get this all the time. People, you know, why? how the hell can you have him on the team? Look, I, that's, that's to me, when people say that is such a uh, such an uneducated look at somebody. And I'm not saying T.J. McConnell's an all-star in this league by any means. But to think that he doesn't bring something to this team because he's not a very good shooter and he's a 6'2", you know, scrappy point guard, is just ridiculous. He is he 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 makes this team better when he's on the floor. He does what Britt Brown wants him to do when he's on the floor. He was the guy that was on the floor last year, the starting point guard, getting the majority of the minutes when they went ten and five during January last year. Uh, you know, there's a spot for him in this league. I think there's a spot for him on this team. You don't lose anything when T.J. McConnell's in the in the game because he runs what they want him to run. He makes other players better. Um, uh, Nick Stauskas, I, I don't know. I, can you upgrade there? Probably. Have they? Maybe. Um, you know, I, I don't know. He, he's a fence guy to me, um, and we'll just have to see if they think they upgraded, like, through the round or if Murph was talking about earlier, if they use some of those picks to move back up late in the first round, then you have to wonder. But, um, you know, T.J. McConnell, he pulled me aside the other day, and, and he's worried. You know, they took Markel. They're going to take Markel Fultz, who's a point guard. They have Jared Bayless backing him up, who's a point guard. They have Ben Simmons, who they've labeled a point guard. Where does T.J. McConnell fit in? I still say, if you're looking at that 12, 13, 14, 15th roster spot, I think they like T.J. McConnell enough to not worry about what position he plays and have him on the team. Yeah, I mean, he just brings so much just in terms of – I mean, he's like the uh, – every time I'm at Sixers practice – He's there, <laughs> like like. He's, does he does he do anything except hang out at the facility? Oh no, he, he's that stain on your shirt that you can't get out, and that, that means like hanging around the facility. That means if you're bringing the ball 
up the court, he's there. And, you know, if you're, a, if you're, a, if he's, is it, is it hair grease? Is that the stain? That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> he's like serv- he was serving, I think I saw him serving mashed potatoes in the cafeteria the other day when I was there. Probably wouldn't. He probably spit in them right before he gave them to somebody. Like, he, he's tough as balls. Like, this, he's, he's the kind of guy, I, 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 I don't know who I said this to, or if I was talking to a GM and they said it to me, they said, any GM for any team in any league, any sport, would like to have T.J. McConnell on their team. And, and that's the truth. I mean, that's just the truth. He is a balls-to-the-wall, no-nonsense, do-whatever-it-takes, play as hard as he can, make his teammate better type of player. And, and I'm sorry, I, I, know his, I know his limitations, but there's room for a guy like that on, on most NBA teams and certainly a rebuilding one and one where the Sixers are right now. Well, Bobby... It's a bit of pl- – I know I said 10 minutes. I guess it's turned more into, like, 25. But uh, Yeah, my daughter isn't too mad at you now that she's done work and waiting for me to drive her home, but that's okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Well, you, you know, finished sure, a bottle of Tangeray, I'm sure. Make sure you tip the yeah. ca- Make sure you tip the cabana boy. Uh, we'll let you go out to the valet, get your car. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I'm the cabana boy, guys. I'm the cabana boy. <laughs> that's you, what I do here. When you leave, are, you going up, uh, are you going up to New York? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with the team in Philadelphia. I always like to uh, – Oh, they were around the team. So we'll have a, we'll have a, uh, I think Mike and I are both going to be in Camden, right, Mike? Yep. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Nothing like a Thursday night in Camden. Yeah, Thursday night in Camden, baby. We'll get some cheesesteaks at Donkey's and we'll be good to go. You can go to the Killers concert uh, if there is one. You can't beat the Donkey cheesesteak. That, you know, they were pretty good. But the fact that this they place called, is called good. Donkey, I don't know if I would ever, uh, I mean, maybe. Yeah, at least it's not Donkey meat cheesesteak. Yeah, you know? right. It's just Donkey cheesesteak, yeah. So. <laughs> they serve that at the lunch, the the, uh, the food truck outside LaSalle at 20th and Olney. Nothing like a good Donkey yeah. steak. Yeah, what happened with that, man? I used to always eat lunch there. <laughs> so you're, you're, speaking of LaSalle, your son's going, isn't he? I had a son that just graduated, and he was lucky enough to have Mike Fielski as his commencement speaker. Wow. And now I have another one going in next year who's actually going to be a walk-on on the basketball team. Nice. That's great. Yeah. Well, yeah, so uh, we'll a lot of fun times up there. Make sure he waves to us when he's in the Elite Eight. Yeah. He, uh, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he'll. Uh, sure you interview him when you go up and do a story on your alma mater. Yeah, whenever Giannini gets fired, we can get him for reaction, I guess. That's, that'll be pretty easy. Just kidding. No, no comment there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bobby. Thanks a lot, man. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. I'll see you. See you, Bobby. Bobby Cooney. Good guy. Very good guy. Like if I like, I feel like Don Tolleson would have dropped a good guy on Bobby. Good guy, He's and like, then it would have tried to steal all his money and his painkillers. Yeah, <laughs> um, addiction's not hey, any, a laughing any, matter. Anybody who takes time away from the swim club to come on the podcast is okay with me. So this is what, um, not to get all, uh, not to have a therapy session here, but like when I hear that, it makes me want kids. Like I'd like to have an excuse to go hang out by the pool and, uh, like like. If you're if you're an adult and you don't have kids, it's just creepy. If you go yes. and hang out at the strip swim club and, yes, and eat yes, pizza, very much. Uh, but like, I want to do that. So I like, <laughs> but in order to do that, I need to get kids. If you would like to take my children to the swim to the local swim club, Murph, you should and start give me oop. some free time. You are, I am more than happy to turn you into They're my a designated babysitter. Too. They're a chick magnet. They are totally. You should start like an Uber for uh, like an Uber pool for kids, or like dogs too. Where like mm-hmm. I, 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 I again. I like I like I like dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy like there's probably like six hours a day where I'm like, man, it'd be nice to have a dog around, you know. But <laughs> yeah. like the day there's another 18, 18 hours, hours where you don't want the dog around. Like dogs are almost like like 
like kids are even worse than dogs. Like you can't even just leave a kid at home. You know, you got to like take them with you everywhere. Oh yeah. That's hard. Yeah. My wife drove me to the train station this morning, had to pack the two boys into the car for a two mile ride to drop me off. I was at a, everything's a process when you have kids. Yes, so my kid, my, my friends are all having like their second batch. Mm-hmm. They're all like due around the same, uh, like all, late August. Mm-hmm. And so all the, uh, all the, the, the first ones are, are a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. And I was at a barbecue last weekend. It was like nerve wracking. Just like, like I don't know how you guys keep track of these guys. Like there's like program for death. Like if you like, they're they're, they're like kamikazes. Like yes. as soon as you set them down, they're just like, what is the most dangerous thing that I can get into? Yes. Um, and I'm gonna go do it. Yeah. Uh, our our almost three year old likes to kind of um, teeter at the top of the staircase, yeah. kind of look down. Um, you know, the six year old is now into like throwing things everywhere. In yeah. fact. On Saturday, we were playing. My my parents in their basement have a little um, uh, kind of Nerf basketball set up. So he and I were playing, and as it turned out, um, there was a picture under a, a uh, sheet of glass on the floor nearby, kind of standing up against a wall, far from where we were playing. But the ball bounced over there, and before I could grab him, he ran after the ball so fast that he crashed into uh, the glass picture sounds about right yeah with this with the underside of his right arm um if you've ever seen the movie hoosiers you remember the scene where mm-hmm. there's the brawl and the kid for hickory crashes into the where the fire extinguisher is that's pretty much what happened to him and he had a a long laceration on his right arm and it's like you know one minute where you're playing nerf basketball and the next you're you know bandaging his arm and running a cvs to get you know ointment and you know more bandages and things like that it's like ugh there's just treachery and danger everywhere. And he's already starting out life, you know, behind the eight yeah, ball because your jeans. Exactly. This is what I'm saying. I mean, this you, is what I'm saying. I see you crashing into things all the time. That's a nice shirt you're wearing, by the way. Thank I like you. that color combination. Thank you very I, much. Uh, Mike Siski's wearing a, is that a Banana Republic shirt? Uh, Gap. Gap. See, I don't like the button collars usually, but maybe I should get into that because I, I, it's just not something I ever buy. It's not that I don't like, but um, I, just I don't mind the I don't mind the button. It's collar. a blue and yellow kind yeah. of uh, plaidish combination. It's just it's not a color summery. combination I would ever. Um, like it looks like it would be a good sports team combination. I feel like, like I would buy. I, I could get into a jersey that it's a little Warriors ish almost. A little Warriors, little uh, like Sweden's hockey team kind of. Yes, Sweden. That's what it, I think. Sweden has the pimpest goalie, uh, the pimpest uh, jerseys out of any national. <laughs> there team. you go. Do you know what I'm saying? I hear you. Um, wh- what else happened to Philadelphia sports this week? Let's uh, do a the, quick rundown. Uh, the Phillies are in bad shape. Yeah, we were going to try to have Matt Gelb on today because I was curious why they called up so everyone wants them to start calling people up and it's yes. almost like they're just trolling people at this point yeah. because <laughs> they're calling everybody up who isn't the people right. that they you know um so they designated michael saunders for assignment um you know if there's one i think gail wrote this at one point and i agree with it if there's one criticism you can make of this front office um it, it's in some of the veterans that they've brought yeah. in that have just not panned out i mean th- you know clay buckholtz they didn't get anything out of no. him. They didn't get anything out of Charlie Morton. Morton. Did it get anything uh, out of Peter Borjos? Um, but at the same time, they're not investing a lot in these guys either. Here's uh, so here's the other. Th- I forgot we haven't done a podcast in a couple of weeks. The Ruben Amaro Jr. coaching first base at Citizens Bank Park. <laughs> like I feel like we underplayed that. Like that was fascinating <laughs> to me. Like I don't know how anyone can criticize the current front office after watching that because it's like, dude, this guy was running your team. For, you know, six years he was, and now he's coaching first base. Like yeah, he, for, he's not even coaching third base. He's it's coaching, it's it's <laughs> funny. He's not even a bench coach. Yeah, it's funny you mention that. Um, you did a really good uh column a couple weeks ago about how deep the hole Ugh. was that 
Clentac and Andy McPhail inherited from Ruben Amaro. And I was on with Angelo Cataldi last week. And you love Ange. He loves me. He loves everybody who comes on with him. And I'm a media whore, so I go on with him every time he asks. Um, you Just know. don't talk in Spanish to him. <laughs> Keep your friends close, but your mercurial Bring talk show host closer. Bring him a Gino's cheesesteak. Yeah. <laughs> and and he is banging the drum, the anti-Clentac drum. Is he? In, in large part, I think, because Clentac doesn't come on the show all that often. Um you know, but mostly, I that's guess. That's how that station operates. Yeah, exactly. But mostly, ostensibly, because. That's how Ruben lasted so long. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, he asked me that question about, you know, do you really think Matt Clentak knows what he's doing? And I, having read your column, cited it and said, look, you have to appreciate the the burned out husk that the Phillies farm Ugh. system was when Andy McPhail and Matt Clentak showed up. And. You know, your 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 stat about the number of players whom the Phillies have drafted since 2012 amazing, who have played for them since. Two <laughs> in five years. That's incredible. It's amazing. That's incredible. And the idea that you're going to turn that around in one year by having every single guy who's on the roster now, or at least, you know, 25 to 30% of them, guys like Odubel Herrera and Mikel Franco and Tommy Joseph and Freddie Galvis, turn into above average to excellent major league players is just not feasible to right. think that that's going to happen. I mean, like the baseball, th- the baseball thing is fascinating uh, in its own right. It, it, so it's very different from the NBA, but yeah. le- like the more you look at it, the more, the more I think it's just a complete crapshoot and no one has any, like you can make educated guesses, but it, it's a complete matter of churn and scale and just having as many, like running as many guys through your system as possible and then seeing which one actually turns into a decent major league hitter. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. back when the car, back when the, I mean, look at, look at, look at all the prospects that Amaro traded away that haven't amounted to anything, but it's not the ones that haven't amounted to anything. It's 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 the two or three that actually would right. be helping this team right now, right. and that's what keeps your organization going exactly. and puts you in a position to then, you know, complement those guys. The thing is, like, you look you look at their roster right now. You've got what three guys who have any shot at being a part of a playoff roster when this team gets good. You're talking maybe a double a double Herrera, assuming mm-hmm. that he turns his you know turns things around and doesn't yeah. go Don Brown on us. <laughs> but that's a big assumption too. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Aaron Altier, like maybe he looks like, yeah. Um, and Aaron Nola, and then who knows about Michael Franco, but right. at the, at, at the absolute most, you've got four. Right. And of those four, there's, there's a chance that two of them don't, you know? And the, the other question, and you would know this better than I would, cause you've covered them longer than I have. The question I have is how much of this is, and these two are not of course, mutually exclusive. How much of this is there in, has been their inability to spot talent? And then how much of it is has been their inability to develop it properly once it gets here? That's a great question, and and I don't know is the is the short answer. Like JP Crawford is floundering at AAA, right. and everybody around baseball seemed to agree that this kid was a terrific prospect. Mm-hmm. And now is he just not getting taught the right things and coached the right way? I think that a I don't know. I would have to. It would make for a good subject for an objective study where yeah. you actually try to find a way to create you know to to quantify each organization's performance in this regard but i think first and foremost it's a matter of spotting talent mm-hmm. i mean i think that like larry green no you know larry green cornelius Rand, like yeah. they, 
they went a long time where they had a specific type of player that they liked. Yeah. And Anthony Hewitt. Anthony Hewitt. Um, and when you look like the Cubs didn't develop Chris Bryant, like right. the Angels didn't develop Mike Trout. Right. Um, you know, the Yankees didn't necessarily develop Aaron Judge. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a matter of. And Does it li- click for them or not? Yeah, it's just a matter of like, is this guy good or not? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I think it's one of those things where in baseball you just really don't know until they face good pitching. You know, yeah. there's just such a good, there's such a huge chasm between the pitching that you face in college and high school versus the pitching that you face, you know, in AAA and the majors. Um, it's just there's so much difference, and yeah. and either guys got it or they don't. I almost think part of me thinks that development is almost overrated. Mm-hmm. You know, where like. How can a guy like Mike Trout is always the example I use, but Chris Bryant works too. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how can a guy like Mike Trout go from, you know, the twenty fourth pick in the draft, like twenty three teams passing on him yeah. in one summer, and then like a year and a half later, be an MVP yeah. at the major league? <laughs> that's true. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's yeah, and that's and that's one of the things I think that bothers me about the way debates like this get framed, at least in our city, and I'm sure you know, I'm sure in other cities too, like. It, it's it's always seems to be framed as, and I don't mean to come off as an apologist for the executives or the the town evaluators in town, and I I think there's a little bit of this in some regards, particularly with the flyers, but there's always this framing of the executives as being kind of recalcitrant, like there's this button that they could push to make their teams good. Right. And they simply choose not to push it. Right. And the Yankees pushed it. They knew Aaron Judge right. was going to hit 30 home runs by the All-Star break. And they knew the right time to push that button. And boom, they've got the next great slugger in baseball. And it doesn't work that way. Like, right. all these teams are trying to be good. Now, with respect to the Flyers, as I said, I think for too long, they were just so tunnel-visioned about, we've got to compete every year. We've got to go out right. and do whatever we have to do, that they were just maybe pressing the button too much. You know, this it'll work now. There's Vinny LeCavalier. There's, you know, um, Ilya Brizgalov. There's this guy. There's that guy. Um, and so they ignored the fact that they actually had to develop their own players. But, you know, Alexander you, Day. Yeah. Like, you can't tell me that Andy McPhail and Matt uh, Clentac, What was the dude's name from the Lightning, the center? Chris Pat, Gratton. Chris Gratton. Pat Falloon. Um, all those guys. What a great name, though, Falloon. Yeah. But you can't tell me that Andy McPhail and, and Matt Klintak aren't trying to make this team good and that they're, you know, the, the Nick Williams thing, for instance. Like, I wouldn't be opposed to bringing Nick Williams up. But by the same token, if you look at his numbers in AAA, to walk him, you have to have the pitcher turn around and throw the ball in a center field four times. It, it's just incredible. He's walked seven times in, what, 200 and some at bats? That's not going to change when he's in the major leagues. And if you value getting on base and, um, you know, being selective at the plate, which the Phillies clearly are not right now, I can understand why they're saying, you know what, maybe Nick Williams isn't going to help us. Well, it's also like these guys watched are actually down on the farm watching. The, like take a, Jorge Alfaro. People wanted him, you know, people wanted him called up in late April. Now, when you look at his numbers, obviously it's like okay. I guess they knew what they were talking about because he has stunk since, yeah. since then. But like when I talk about development, like I think uh, like Jackie Bradley Jr. take take for instance. Mm-hmm. Like part of me thinks that once you get to a certain point and you know how to hit a fastball, then you just got to figure it out in the major league level. Because mm-hmm. like look at Jackie Bradley Jr. Like he spent so at tw- age twenty three and twenty four. 
through 100 plate appearances one season and then a full se- a full second season, he was not good at the plate. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he figured something yeah, out. Like look yeah. at Ryan Zimmerman this year. Right. You know, like it, it it just happens differently for everybody and I mm-hmm. don't know if it can be taught or developed down in the minor leagues. No. And look at look at established major league players. I mean, look at go back several years, you know. Um, there were years where Cal Ripken was awful for mm. a full year and then figured something out with his batting stance as he was getting older and I've got to do th- I've got to lower my hands to to pull the trigger faster, something like that and he becomes an MVP again at age, you know, in 1991 I think at age like 35 or something like that. Carl Yastrzemski had incredible ups and downs throughout his career. Um, it's never just a straight line unless you know, Unless you're an all-time great. Yeah, or you're you know, pharmaceutically enhancing yourself at, at a late age. Um, Not always mutually exclusive. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I th- I, look, it's a slog. It's, it's hard when the baseball team, any baseball team, is really bad because it's all you've got in the summer. Um, and it's bad when – and a team that doesn't have any starting pitch – like the reason why the yeah. Phillies look so bad is because they, they have no, no starting, starting pitching. pitching at Every all. time you turn it on, you know, the other team's got five runs. Yeah. And it's just a matter of like – Oh, the Phillies gonna be able to outscore. You know, like it's just starting pitching is what makes baseball watchable. You yeah. know, as as counterintuitive as it might sound, like it's it makes true. the off like when you're like when you're watching when Cliff you score Lee five Ray runs, Hallett, and you, yeah. yeah. When you score five runs and you win five two, it looks like your offense had a good day. Mm-hmm. When you score five runs after you're already down eight nothing, you know you people forget about those runs. Yeah, you know the Phillies lineup has actually not been horrible this year. Mm-hmm. All things good. It's been better than last year, you know. Yeah. I mean, like if Aaron Altier ends up being what he has been, this is a winning year for the Phillies' offense. Right. It's the fact that they have no starting. That's the concerning thing about it because, and know, no, re- and no relievers aside right. from Pat Neshek. So <laughs> who's very fun to watch? Oh, I love watching him pitch. I Why love does he it. walk like? Like he always looks like he's got something in his pants. You know. <laughs> I love it. It's I great. don't know. He's the twitchiest son of a gun yeah. I've ever seen on the mound. It's incredible. He's like Mark Fidrich without the curly hair. Or, yeah, but and does he talk to himself? No, no, but it looks like he does. It looks like he just kind of. He, kinda, does. he looks like a scary man, but he's <laughs> actually a very nice guy. Yeah, he's got like, an incredible baseball card collection. He does. He does. Um, anyway, let's. Um, I got to go right. Yep, I, I do still too. Have it. I'm still not gotta, really sure. I got to revise. Write. All right, man. Let's see you. Ne- we'll see you next week. Later.